Well, hey, Genesis, how are we doing this morning? Doing well? Thanks for being here with us today. If you're new or visiting, we're especially glad that you're here. I know there's lots of different things you can do on a Sunday morning. You can sleep in, you can sleep in, you can go get breakfast somewhere, but we're so glad that you would join us here. So thanks for being with us. Now, I know it sounds a little cliche to say this, but this is kind of the one time of year you can say it and get away with it, but because it, it's true, can you believe that it's December? Like 2018 is almost in the books. It's hard to imagine that the whole calendar year is, is almost gone and it's December the 2nd already, which if my math is correct in days, that means we have 113 days until March Madness, which is really what we're all thinking about, right? I mean, it's central Indiana. It doesn't matter which team you cheer for. It looks like they're all gonna get in, maybe, hopefully, hopefully. And so we're thinking about that. And some of you are thinking, I can't believe he just did that. He just took the reason right out of the season. He knows there's a really important birthday coming up that we celebrate every year. And I've done the math on that one. It's December the 2nd. So 56 days until my 41st birthday in January, okay? <laughs> Got a wish list on Amazon. You can go get me whatever you want. I accept cash. I'm not, I'm not too picky or choosy, right? Now, for those of you Christmas people, and I work with two Christmas people that want it to be Christmas year-round, you're probably ready to boo or throw something and get me off the stage. But I have, I just... Gotta be honest, I got some bad news for you. That's like old news, right? I mean, retailers have been pushing Christmas since October. We, we're, we're like ready. We're almost Christmas out if we're not careful, right? Now, I don't, I don't really feel that way. I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love getting together with family and give, giving and receiving gifts. And most importantly, celebrating the fact that God in the form of Jesus left heaven and came to this earth. So I'm all for Christmas. But have you noticed that we live in a culture? We live in a society that's always just kind of focused on the next thing. What's, what's happening next? It's hard to enjoy that Christmas is here because there's something else that's right around the corner. And so we, we can't even enjoy where we are because of the thing that might happen to us next. And, and we all do this. My mom did this a week ago. We went to their house for Thanksgiving and we celebrate Thanksgiving the Saturday after. That's when we can all kind of get together. And our tradition is that my mom and dad spend hours making this amazing meal. And we all sit down at about four o'clock on Saturday afternoon and there's turkey and dressing and we're sitting down and we're eating and it was so good. And my mom just couldn't help herself. She, she totally did what moms do. She said, oh, I'm just so thankful that we're all here. And then she went and asked the question that made everybody nervous. In fact, my sister had a slight panic attack and dropped her fork. This is what my mom said when are we going to do this again for Christmas? And we're like, mom, gosh, it's Thanksgiving. Like, just let us enjoy this. And here's what you need to know. I love my family and we love being together. We, we really enjoy being together. We genuinely enjoy that. But I'm the one of four, okay? And when you factor in our spouses and our kids and my two parents, there are 25 of us, okay? My brother lives in Florida. We live up here in Indy. So we've got to travel a few hours. My brother has to travel a lot more than that. So for all 25 of us to come together and be together in the busiest time of the year feels like an advanced algebra exam, right? And you need a calculator and you need graph paper because it just gets complicated. Do you use graph paper in algebra? It's complicated. Either way, it's just complicated, right? It's complicated. And my mom didn't mean to complicate things. She was just so excited and she's looking forward to what's next. It's just what we do. In fact, if you've ever watched a child open a Christmas present or a birthday present, you've seen this in its purest form. What happens when you give a child a wrapped gift? What do they do? They tear into it and there's paper flying everywhere. And then if you're lucky, they might say, oh, thank you so much. And then what do they say next? 
What's next? Where's my next gift? This is just what we do. But in all fairness, it's not just moms at holidays or kids on their birthdays. It's something that we all do on a regular basis. So I want you to think about this. In the last few months, in the last year, how many of you have been tempted to think, I wonder, I wonder if there's a better job out there for me? I mean, I like this one. I've had it for a while. I wonder if I could go somewhere and work with some people that are a little cooler, make a little money, get a raise, have a little more social status, right? I mean, what's next? Where am I gonna go next? What am I, what am I gonna do next? Um, we, I think we ask this question with relationships, right? If you're not married, you're thinking, well, who's next? And where am I gonna go to meet them? And where are they at? Now, if you're married and you're asking that question, that's the wrong question. You can't ask that when you're married, okay? Your question is, where do we go for marriage counseling? And we can help you with that, right? But we do this with relationships. We do this with cars. We do this with clothes. We do it with coffee, right? Do you think Starbucks is gonna stop inventing the next latte for us? Of course not. Why? Because if they create the next thing, what are we gonna do? We're gonna go buy it because we all love the next thing. If you're a student, you're wrapping up this semester, which means there's another semester right around the corner, and you're probably already thinking, what's next? What classes do I have to take? What will my professors be like? What will my new schedule be? What's, what's next? Some of us are maybe in a transitional period of life. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate, and so for you, you're saying, what's next? What's it gonna be like when I have to be an adult all the time? Or what's next? What's it gonna be like when I'm a husband? or a father, or a mom, or a wife, what's next? Or sometimes those what's next questions are just painful. And we know, some, we know a family that is going through this version of this. They're, the dad, young guy, just died, just passed away, leaving behind his wife and two middle school children. And I know for a fact that this time of the year, they're asking questions like, whoa, what's next? Where do we go from here? How, how, do we, how do we even go on? Like, he's supposed to be here. They're too young. I can't do this by myself. What's, what's next? What does next even look like? And so whether we would admit it or not, we're always asking that question. It's always gonna be at the top of our mind. We might not realize we're asking it, but what's, what's next? And so today we're gonna wrap up this series in the book of James that we've entitled Against the Grain. And what we've discovered over the last several weeks is that James is believed to be the little brother of Jesus. And as he's been writing this letter to first century Christians who were being persecuted and, and cast away from their homeland, he's encouraged them to live countercultural lives, to live against the grain, to not be like everybody else, but to follow Jesus and live differently. And what we're going to see as we wrap up in James chapter five today is on a couple of different occasions, he addresses what's next questions for us. No matter where you're at, no matter what you think might be next, James says, hey, I've got some things that you might want to consider when you're planning for what's next. And so with that in mind, I just wanna pray and I wanna ask God's spirit to help us and then we're gonna dive right in. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for a church family where we can gather together with excitement and with joy. And we don't just gather together to be together. We gather together because we believe you are the God of the universe. And Jesus, we believe that you've left heaven and you've came, you came to the earth to live and to show us how to live. And we're thankful that James captured these words to share with us. And they've been passed down for the last 2,000 years. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you open our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what you would want us to hear today? Would you help us to remember what James says? Don't just be hearers of the words, brothers and sisters, but be doers 
also. I just pray that you would speak to us no matter what we're planning next. And when we leave today, we would be walking in step with you. That's our prayer. Jesus, we love you. And it's in your great name that we pray. Amen. Now, as James begins chapter five, he's talking to a very specific group of people. Look at James chapter five, verse one. He says this, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Happy Sunday. Welcome to Genesis. We're so glad that you're here. Weep and wail because of the misery that has come upon you. Now, I don't know about you. James just sounds kind of grouchy, right? Like, bro, eat a Snickers and chill out. Why, why are you so angry? With, rich people have nice stuff. And if you're nice to them, James, they might share it with you. But when you talk to them like this, you're probably not going to make many friends, right? Doesn't he know better? But he talked about wealthy people back in chapter two. He just has really strong words. Here, look at what he says in, in verses two and three. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Now, there is no way around it. These are really sharp words, right? They, they cut. And if you're like me, you're probably thinking now, how do I know if I'm wealthy or not? How do I know if he's talking to me? I don't think that's the point. I think the point and what we're gonna see is James is saying, look, there is a warning that we all need to be aware of and we're planning for what's next. And when we think of our wealth and our finances and our future and our 401k and all those things, he's saying, you should pay attention. Pay close attention. Author Sam Alberry says this. We live in a society where accumulation is seen as good in its own Right. Amassing money and possessions is commended. It's one of the ways that we as a culture measure someone's success in life. The more you have, the better you've done. The things we have are a matter of pride for many of us. That's just the world that we live in, isn't it? You should go and get and have more because you'll be happier. And more equals better, right? I mean, that is every advertisement that we see. You need this thing. It will make you happy, now, I was watching the news, which I don't get to do often, but I was watching the news, Good Morning America, on Friday morning, and I saw this story roll, and I thought of exactly what James is saying here, because there is a well-known shoe retailer that is buying in on this concept. This, the, this is their new marketing campaign. I want you to check this out. Yeah, this was a sharp move. This was very compelling. Payless hired an ad agency to bring together Los Angeles fashion influencers to see if they would buy their very affordable shoes if they thought they were from a high-end brand. Watch. Very, you know, European, very, you know, upscale. For me to experience this as an Italian designer is amazing. I could definitely wear this to, like, a Met Gala dinner. They're willing to pay top dollar. I would pay 400 500 yeah. People are going to be like... Where'd you get those? Those are amazing. The only problem, this posh shoe boutique, Palessi. Welcome to Palessi. Doesn't exist. It's really a provocative social experiment by discount shoemaker Payless. We built a fake luxury store, filled it with avant-garde sculptures and displays. We even hired a full team of sales associates. Then we filled all the shelves with Payless shoes. This was a record opening store for all of Payless history. Turns out it was so convincing that these online fashion influencers were sold on the craftsmanship and looks of these hot shoes. They're elegant, sophisticated. I just think it's so classy. And we're shocked when they learned that shoes they would pay as much as $645 for, like these, were really just 35 bucks. These are actually from Payless. You've got to be kidding me. Shut up. 
Are you serious? The unsuspecting shoppers received full refunds, plus got the shoes for free. Payless tells us they simply wanted to change people's perceptions about what luxury should cost. I laughed so hard when I saw that. That one girl, shut up. Are you kidding me? $645, like, hello, right? But that's what the culture says, nicer, newer, better, more. That's what, that's what you need, and, and we laugh at that. But would you be willing to admit that you do that with stuff too? Like we all have, we just want the next thing or the nicer thing or the newer thing. And James has some really, a really clear warning for those of us that tend to want to worship our wealth. Look at what he says in verse five. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Now I want to take a moment. And I want to step back and think, what is, what's the point that James is trying to get at here? What would he want us what would he want us to know? And again, I'm gonna use Thanksgiving. I realize it was just about a week or so ago, but I want you to think back and you all look like normal Americans to me. I'm gonna guess because this is an American tradition that many, if not all of you, enjoyed at least one piece of juicy, delicious turkey, right? It's just what we do as Americans. Now, if you are vegan or vegetarian, you're just a better person than me, okay? I pray for you. I'm so sorry for your loss. You're, I'm telling you, you're missing out. But for those of us that love meat, my guess is if you ate a turkey, you probably didn't shoot it. If you did, good for you. But for those of us that didn't, you know this, that turkey was raised on a farm where it was very well fed for a very long time so that what? It could be fat and plump and juicy just in time for us to enjoy at Thanksgiving. And if you're a turkey, that's okay. That's normal. Like that's what turkeys are raised for. James says, but that's not what people are meant to do. In fact, if there's anything that you're going to walk away with from James 5, I want you to remember this. Don't be a turkey. Don't be a turkey. Look at what he says in verse 5. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the days of slaughter. He says the goal of life isn't to get fat and sassy with stuff. Wealth is meant for something much more than that, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. He wants us to know that the goal of life isn't to collect stuff that elevates our social status, but the goal of wealth should be to use it to help others that are in need all around us. And so as we're asking what's next questions, and we think about our wealth and our finances and our 401k and our future and our job and all those things, I think James would just have this simple thing to say to us, stop chasing the next thing. In a culture that says, you need the next thing, James says, no, 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 no. You need to stop chasing the next thing. And with that in mind, I just have a simple question that I want you to think about. What are you tempted to chase next? Let's ask it a little more honestly. Not what are you tempted, what are you chasing right now? Maybe it's a job that pays a little better, or it's a promotion with a little more status, or it's a career track that allows you to be one of those people that everybody respects because you do the thing. Maybe it's a retirement plan or a lake house or a beach house or the vacation spot. Maybe it's just buying your first house or getting a new house or a new car or a new phone or some sweet new clothes. We are all tempted to want the next thing. And here's the thing, it's not that any of that's bad or wrong, but James is warning us there is a danger that comes when we trust in our wealth more than we trust in God. And he says, it's inevitable. If you do that, if you become greedy, guess what you do? You love stuff more than you love people 
but are created in the image of God. And, and God takes issue with that. Now, does that mean that it's wrong to save and plan for the future? I don't think James is condemning that. Is it wrong for us to enjoy nice things every once in a while? Scripture teaches that God's a loving heavenly father. And if you're a dad, don't you want to give your kids nice things and you want them to enjoy them? So I don't think he's saying don't enjoy nice things. I think the warning though that he's saying is this. Look, you need to hear this. People are always gonna matter to God more than your stuff. And if you find yourself indulging yourself, instead of helping people in need around you, you have a problem. And the easiest way to fix the problem is to stop chasing the next thing and to start helping people in need right around you. And this is a great time of year for us to put this into practice, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to look far to find an organization that you can partner with to help somebody in need during Christmas. I love what Steve said. One of the things I love about Genesis is we talk about generosity regularly. And for those of you that give on a regular basis, thank you, because what we collect, you know this, 10% goes right back out into our communities to partners that, we, that we've made. Uh, we wanna encourage you to give above and beyond during the Christmas weekend because we're gonna get, collect that money and give it away. It's, it's our way of saying, God, you are so gracious and good. Here's one way that we can worship you. And so thank you for, for doing that and partnering with us in that. We're partnering with Food for Souls. Steve talked about this. We're collecting those items that you can put under the Christmas tree. And if you didn't get one of these lists, you can find one out in the lobby. You can down one, download one on, online. But this is an opportunity for us to help homeless people in and around Indy. And here's the thing. Once we collect those items next week, now we have, next week we have slots that people can go and deliver those items and get to know some of those people. There's some folks from our small group that are gonna go and do that. And so maybe that's something that your group can do. I had a connection group reach out to me a few weeks ago and say, hey, we would love to help a family in need at Genesis this holiday season. Do you know anybody? And so I carefully asked some questions and we found a family and everybody wins because that's the way the church is designed to function. We take care of one another and we take care of everybody out there so that they wonder, why, why would you wanna do this for me? And so here's the thing, whether you choose to do this as an individual or with a group of people, here's the question that I want you to think about. Imagine not what, but imagine who. Imagine whose life could be impacted and changed if we collectively stopped chasing the next thing so that we could help those in need around us. I mean, what if Genesis became known as the place, the church, where we were just not chasing that thing so that we could help others with just really basic needs, whatever those things might be. And here's why this is so important, because James continues on and he says, hey, you need to stop chasing the next thing because there's something really big that's gonna happen and you need to be aware of it. Look at what he says in verse seven. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. He's saying there will be a day that Jesus is going to return from heaven to this earth. And here, now, if you don't know Jesus well, if you're new to this Jesus thing, I want you to hear me say this. This is a big deal. We believe this. It sounds crazy, but we believe this. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I really want you to tune in because I'm gonna guess you're like me and it's really easy to forget that that's the reality. We're not just living today for us. He could come back like right now and everything would be different and everything would be new. He promised, he said, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna come back from the dead. But then after he came back from the dead, he said, well, I'm gonna establish the church and then I'm gonna go away, but I'll come back one day and you should be ready. And if he was accurate about the coming back from the dead thing, and I think that he probably got it right because 2,000 years later, we're in Carmel worshiping him when that happened in Jerusalem. I think, I think we can trust him. So I think we probably need to be very 
aware of what he is saying right here. He's going to come back. And James says, this is the next big thing that's gonna change everything. Don't get focused on all the other stuff. Focus in on this. And look at, look at verse seven and eight. He hints at this twice. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And then look at the end of verse eight. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Twice in two verses, he's getting our attention. Don't chase that stuff because he is coming back. Now, if you're like me, you might be wondering, okay, I wanna hear more about that, but what does that have to do with all the rich people? Why is he so angry at, at, at that? And as I've studied this, this is what I think the point James is making is. He's saying, look, greed is never good. When you want stuff, over, you, over, the, over wanting to help people, that's never good because it's gonna take your mind off of the most important thing, which is the fact that Jesus is gonna return. And so he's saying, I want you to live and patiently anticipate the day that he returns. And in the meantime, just live in obedience to him, no matter what that looks like. And then to drive this point home, he uses an analogy that I think that we can all understand. Look at verse seven. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. Now, this is gonna surprise a lot of you. I'm not a farmer. And I confessed that to my wife this week and we cried together and we're going to counseling to see if there's anything that we can do to fix it. But I'm gonna guess that a lot of you are like me. You're not a farmer and I don't know a whole lot about agriculture, but I do know enough to know that could be dangerous, right? Like I know that there's things that farmers can do, like they can clear the field and they can till the soil and they can plant the seeds and they can, they can manage the weeds. But then what do they have to do? They have to wait. They gotta wait on the rain and they gotta wait on things to grow. And they wait and they work together. And James is saying, that's what you're supposed to do while you're waiting for Jesus to return. Now, on Monday of this last week, my 12-year-old son, who's in middle school, his name is Jude. He gave me permission to share this story with you. He did the same thing that he does every other school day. He left our house a little after seven to walk to the bus stop to get to school on time. But if you remember back to last Monday, it was pretty cold. And he decided, he said, I'm gonna leave at the last possible second. And my goal is to leave here and to get there and the bus is waiting on me. And I said, all right, good luck. <laughs> Don't call me. He goes and it worked. He got to the bus stop and the bus was there and the door was open and he was just so proud of himself. And he got up on the bus and he sat down. He was warm. He's just basking in his glory. And then the bus goes on. He was just so proud of himself. I was kind of proud of him, to be honest with you. But then a minute later, something weird happened his friend that's a high schooler got on the bus and he thought, well, that's weird. Middle schoolers and high schoolers are on different buses and Joel's never on this bus. Joel, why are you on this bus? And Joel looks at him and says, dude, you are on the high school bus. You need to do something. And so my son's taking trumpet this year. So he lugs his backpack, grabs his trumpet, sprints down the aisle. Middle school's hard enough. You don't need stuff like this, right? In front of all these high schoolers, he runs to the bus driver. And he's like, we have a problem. I'm on the wrong bus. And the bus driver believes him stops, lets him off in the dark, in the cold at some random spot in our neighborhood. So there he is, the bus takes off and he takes off sprinting. I don't know what the right thing for the bus driver was to do, but Jude takes off sprinting to our house thinking I'm gonna miss the bus. So he's sprinting and he's carrying the trumpet and the backpack and he remembers, wait a minute, wait, there's other bus stops and he looks around and he sees some middle schoolers huddled together over here. Now I want you to imagine you're that group of people and you see the bus stop and you see someone get off and that crazy person takes off running towards you and then he got to the bus stop and he was like, oh, just give me a second, okay. You know, and he gets on the bus and he gets to school on time. And here's, you know what's awesome? We never knew that it happened. 
We had no clue that he was in distress. And when he told us at dinner, we laughed, not at him, but with him. And we have retold the story. I've had him tell me the story like five different times. It just gets better every time. And here's the thing. I'm really pretty proud of him. Because if you know middle school boys, they are out in space somewhere. But he got it right on this particular day. He got it right. And here's the thing he knew. I've got to get to the bus my window of time, it's pretty short. And I gotta get there because if I'm there, that guy will pick me up and take me where I need to go. That's kind of life. We're operating on a short window of time. We've got things that we want to accomplish. There's a place that we need to be so we can get to where we're going. But life is gonna throw us a curveball inevitably, right? And we're gonna have to adapt along the way. And James knew this. Look at what he says in verse eight. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. He said, stand, for, stand, stand firm. Like things are gonna happen in life, but don't forget about the fact that he's gonna come and take us to be with him and make everything right one day. All the broken stuff's gonna be fixed, but you gotta be ready. You, you need to be ready for his return. Stand firm. Be like a farmer that's tending his crops. He doesn't stand around waiting for things to happen. He's persistent in how he works. He's patient in how he waits. Be like a middle school boy that missed the bus. Be crazy. Get to where you need to go. Don't miss out on the thing, right? I mean, James is saying, you got to pay attention. You can't afford to be distracted. Now, he uses the word patiently a lot here. How many of you enjoy being patient? Look at the hands just fly up around the room, right? Nobody enjoys being patient because you know what happens when my patience is tested? I get testy, right? I, I, I get angry. I get anxious. When we were returning from my parents' house, Last Saturday night, we timed it out. We ate at four. We thought we can hang out for a little while after dinner. If we leave around 7.30, we'll get home around 10. But if you're a parent, your math is a little different, right? You're thinking, we've been staying up late. We really need to get home quick. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go home. And if everything goes well, we're gonna get home and the kids will go to bed and we'll wake up on Sunday morning and we'll sleep in, we'll be okay, right? The plan was beautiful, but what we didn't factor on was an accident on 65 in a construction zone where we sat for an hour and two of our kids, our youngest kids fell asleep. And we're like, oh, dear Lord, just let them stay asleep. God, please. Well, they wake up. And guess what? He's looking at me. She's staring at me. She's touching me. And I wish that I had thought to quote this next verse to them. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. <laughs> James is saying, look, being patient's not easy. It's not fun. Nobody enjoys it. But don't grumble against one another. And when he says brothers and sisters... He's referring to those of us specifically that follow Jesus. You're in the family of God. When you fight, when we fight with one another, it's not a good representation of Jesus. It doesn't make what we're trying to accomplish look very attractive, does it? And I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as anyone. And he says the judge is standing at the door. Who's the judge? It's Jesus. He's standing at the door. He can't get any closer than standing at the door. And I think, I think what James is saying is y'all be wise not to fight. Because dad's on the other side of the door and he could come through any moment home from work and you don't want him walking in on an awkward family fight. It ain't gonna be good for anybody, right? He's just giving us a warning, be ready, don't bicker, don't complain, don't fight. So when it comes to planning for the future and asking all those what's next questions, James says, look, just stop chasing the next thing so that you can be ready for the next big thing. But then he's gonna close out chapter five by saying something that is applicable to every single one of us, no matter where we are, no matter what will happen tomorrow or in a week from now. He says, oh, by the way, this is the last thing that you need to hear me say before I go. 
And one of the things that we've been doing over the last several weeks, we've been reading through these passages out loud together. And some of you might've noticed we didn't do that at the beginning because we're gonna do it right now because I wanted you to read this next part for yourself. I need to read it for me because he's talking to every single one of us. And so if you are physically able and you wouldn't mind standing, I wanna invite you to stand. And we're gonna read James 5, 13 through 16 out loud together. It starts like this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Man, James knows this well, doesn't he? He says, is anybody in trouble? Is anybody losing sleep at night over that thing or that broken relationship? Is anyone struggling with this, this detail of your life? He says, yeah, yeah, me too. You should pray about that. Is anyone here sick or know someone that is? Have you gotten a diagnosis that's really scary? Or you know someone who's, it looks like life on earth isn't gonna last a whole lot longer. James says, pray about that. Call the elders of the church and pray and ask God to do what only he can do. I think if you could read into this, James would say this time of the year, do you feel lost or lonely or depressed or forgotten? He would say, you're not alone, but don't sit alone. Come and pray and, and let people, let the people of the church pray with and pray for you because we're planning for what's next, but we really don't know what's gonna happen next. And so as we wrap up today, I want to invite you, I wanna invite us as a church family to do this together. We've got some fantastic folks that have agreed to come forward and pray with you. And it's not that their prayers are any more special. It's just that they love to pray with people. Some of them are elders, which is fantastic. James says, do that. But this is an opportunity. And I'm gonna say, look guys, look around. Every one of us has a prayer need about something. Something's blowing up, something's burning down. Something's gonna happen next. Don't let this moment pass by. James says there is power in what we're getting ready to do. He also says, if you're happy, sing songs of praise. That counts. Pray to God in that way. And so in just a moment, we're gonna, we're gonna worship together. We're gonna sing, we can sing songs of praise, but I wanna invite you to be bold and to leave your seat, to find one of these folks and to pray with them and ask God to do what only he can do. Would you pray with me? Father, we believe that your word is true and I think James is right. There's power when we confess out loud, hey, I've got this need. James says the powerful, the, the prayer of a, a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so as we move into this next moment, God, would you help us to embrace this, not to rush through it. Holy Spirit, I pray, I pray for the person that's sitting in here today that says there is no way I'm gonna do that. I pray that you would move and that they would, they would find that there's just power and not hiding in the dark, but power in saying, hey, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you do your thing? Would you have your way? And as we sing, would you help us to not forget about all the next things and to focus on you, the one thing that matters more than anything. Jesus, it is in your name and in the power of your name that we pray. Amen.